0: Uh, we have thoroughly enjoyed our time, um, and it is absolutely hard to believe that we are leaving on Wednesday already, uh, and it's uh, sad, for sure. Uh, we will miss you all um, and miss this place. Uh, we are eager to get back uh, to our, our home and our church family and place of ministry though, but even just a word of thanks to you, uh, we, have, we have been extremely welcomed, we've felt the hospitality, the love, uh, and uh, we are grateful uh, for that, we, we really have been loved well in our time here, uh, and that is a great blessing, it's definitely been a summer to remember, uh, we will not, not soon forget the brothers and sisters at Jerusalem Baptist Church. Uh, and we are thankful to have had the opportunity uh, to meet you, uh, to spend these six weeks with you. Uh, and uh, as I was thinking about it, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if, if we'll be back. I don't know what God has for us in the future. I don't know if we'll run into each other here on this earth uh, again. But I am encouraged uh, to know that we will spend eternity together uh, worshiping our Messiah the Lord Jesus, uh, so that is something to look forward to, uh, for sure. Uh, but we will jump into the book of Ruth. Uh, we'll finish chapter four this week. Uh, we'll read verses thirteen to twenty-two. Uh, but before we uh, do that, and before I give just a brief recap, uh, let's let's pray and ask for God's help, Father. Thank you for thank you for your word that you have given it to us, that you have not remained silent and have revealed yourself and and shown us what you are like. We're so thankful even to see that in the book of Ruth for these past few weeks and for these few minutes ahead of us. We ask God that you would help us to know more of who you are, but but. Even more so than just knowing who you are, help us to love you more because of our time spent here this morning. Pray that you would help us understand your word and and help us to be able to to live faithfully according to what it is that you require of us. And so we ask that you would speak uh, for your servants' listen. We praise you, we thank you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So thus far in the narrative, what we've experienced is uh, this portrayal of Ruth as a worthy woman. She's worthy of our attention, of our admiration, and she's worthy of our affection. She left her homeland for the sake of her mother-in-law. She experienced genuine conversion. And she's now back living in the land of promise for the good of another. By all accounts, Ruth the Moabite is an exemplary follower of God who is modeling to Naomi what we've talked about throughout our time together, chesed, this covenant faithfulness. We've also seen Naomi speak of trust and speak of the providence of of God. She never blames God or her husband for the circumstances of her life Because she knows the outcome is due to the hand of God. God has been providentially orchestrating her life for her good and for His glory. Even in what seems to be the darkest of times. But even in the midst of this darkness, there's hope. Hope has come. Boaz is portrayed as the near relative who will rescue not only Ruth, but Naomi. And not only Ruth and Naomi, but also the name of the dead. And what we see in all of this is that Naomi knows God is at work through Boaz. And he is seeking the benefit of Ruth. So Ruth's care and concern for Naomi is about to be reciprocated uh, through circumstances that neither Ruth nor Naomi could have imagined. Uh, after the kind of strange events of chapter 3 on the threshing floor, uh, we see exactly how God is going to provide for Ruth and for Naomi and for the name of the dead. Uh, as the narrative unfolds on the threshing floor, this, this marriage proposal takes place, and Boaz accepts, and he says, I will do whatever it takes uh, to, to bring about what is necessary so that an heir can be produced for the dead. Uh, this narrative unfolded before our eyes. And and I, I hope in our time together that, that you've seen the book of Ruth as as more than just a story. It's more than just uh, something that was written many thousands of years ago for maybe even a different people at a different time. But but hopefully we've been able to see that that Ruth is is a Christian book. And I mean by that that it points to our Messiah. The Old Testament in its entirety, just just think of Luke 24. Jesus on the road to Emmaus saying that all Scripture speaks of Me. The Old Testament, the book of Ruth, points us to Jesus. And what we need to remember is that it's not just a story. It's a story that shows us that God is is the hero. And so we look to Ruth as faithful and Boaz as great, but they're pointing beyond themselves to God because he is ultimately the hero, the one who is directing all of these circumstances. So in our retelling of the story, we are looking specifically at how the narrative of Ruth was written to point us to Jesus. And it is, it is unmistakable this morning, and so I'm eager to get into it. Uh, you can follow along with, with me. I will read Ruth 4 13 to 22. It says this So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord! They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nation. Nation fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David and the book ends and and we're meant to see in these verses in this story as it is now complete the resolution that that points to God is the one who deserves all the glory for all that has taken place as we've discussed in the previous chapters of Ruth God has always been the leading player behind the scenes in this story. And we get to see how it all comes together. To to summarize what we see in these last verses, I think what we see is God's glorious provision for His people. And I don't think that His provision stops with Naomi. It doesn't stop with Ruth. It doesn't stop with Boaz. I think it reaches all the way down to us Today, So the first thing we'll look at under this title of God's glorious provision for his people is that God provides a child for Boaz and Ruth. And, and, and this is what we've been waiting for, right? It's finally here. Last week we saw the blessing of the community in, in the marriage of, of Ruth and Boaz. And in this, the tensions of the story start to release. All that has needed to take place to get to an heir, to a birth of the son, has taken place. Ruth's Ruth's request that that Boaz would spread his wings over her have been realized. The opening words of our text show us that. It says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he took her home. He took her into his home. Remember remember how chapter 2 ended? said, and she lived with her mother-in-law. And, and I, think, I think that statement is kind of meant to, to, to be some sort of tension in the story. She had been provided for with, with the grain and, and taken care of physically in that way, and yet she's still living with her mother-in-law, but no longer. Ruth is now with Boaz. And I think this is a cultural practice of the day that the wedding ceremony would have been some sort of processional from the home of the bride to the home of the groom. She's gone from the house of her mother-in-law to the house of Boaz. And the witnesses at the gate have already spoken in similar languages in 4.11. It says, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. This is how marriage would have been celebrated. It's a transfer of household. But look again at what the narrator tells us at the beginning uh, in verse 13. It says, So Boaz took Ruth, or he took her into his home, and she became his wife. Th- there's a little bit of redundancy here in this text. The phrase, Boaz took Ruth, already shows that they're married. And, and yet the narrator feels it necessary to, to repeat that she became his wife. Uh, I think if they're married, it's obvious that she's his wife. So why is the storyteller why is the narrator doing this? I think it's it's a glorious transition that has taken place. Ruth up until this point in the story has only been referred to as Ruth the Moabite. Countless times we have only seen her as as Ruth the Moabite. Ruth the Moabite and, and, and the narrator does not let us forget where she is from. She's the Moabitess. And over and over and over again. Almost to the point where, where you read the story and you just kind of skim over that. We get it. all right? Okay, she's from Moab. She was a foreigner, but now through the generosity of Boaz, she's brought in and she now occupies a status she never thought possible. No longer is she Ruth the Moabite. She is Ruth, the wife of Boaz. And, and I think this is the this is glorious truth for all who have re- been redeemed. Do you realize that in Christ, you get a new status? That you are no longer who you used to be. You are in Christ. And in Him, you have a new identity. You are God's child in His family forever. And it goes on. It says Boaz went into her and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. The Lord gave her pregnancy, she gives birth to a son. And, and here in this statement we see the second time, only the second time in this book, that God, the Lord, intervenes. Directly, The first was in chapter one, verse six, It says, then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return to the country from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. The first instance, God came to the aid of his people by providing food. And now for a second time, God comes to the aid of his people. It's almost as if God is stepping out from, from the shadows, and, and He intervenes in the area of childlessness. And it's here that we see that, that God has finally answered the prayer of Boaz from chapter 2 in verses 11 and 12, where we read, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Boaz prays, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. The key phrase there in in Boaz's prayer is, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. And I think what we see in in chapter 4, that is that the Lord is answering that prayer. Ruth is richly rewarded, immeasurably more than either Ruth or Boaz could imagine. We also see that the Lord answers Naomi's prayer from chapter 1, verse 9, where she prays, The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And then she kisses them, lists uh, and listed their voices and wept. But in, in 1-9, Naomi is praying for rest. She's praying for protection. She's praying for settled security. She's praying for provision. And, and now Ruth has all of those things. God is providing for His people. And when we see this in the text, we, I think we should be drawn to praise, but, but we see it clearly, and it says the Lord enabled her to conceive and she bore a son. I think that that's, that's a crucial part of the story. And I think that that language, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she bore a son, should, should draw our attention to books of the Bible, to revelation that has come prior to this account unfolding. And and I think really the question that we should ask is, is what thoughts would trigger in the minds of the original hearers of this story by by that language? What sort of connections would they make? I think that their minds would probably race back to Genesis and the conception of of certain significant children in the book of Genesis. Genesis. For instance, in Genesis 21, God supernaturally intervenes and allows Sarah to conceive. In Genesis 25, God supernaturally intervenes and allows Rebecca to conceive. In Genesis 29, God supernaturally intervenes and allows Leah to conceive. In Genesis 30, God supernaturally intervenes and allows Rachel to To conceive. Now, I think that there are there are similarities between all of those women that I've just listed and and Ruth. Firstly, they they all struggle with the reality of barrenness. Second, their conceptions are stated to be the direct intervention of God. And third, and most importantly, their sons prove to play a vital part in advancing the development of the covenant people of God. And what we see in in this this theme of, of barrenness to the Lord granting conception is the sovereign hand of God supernaturally intending to the lineage of His people. He is marking off a people for Himself. And He is doing it by opening the womb of barren women. And what the original hearers would do when they hear this in the book of Ruth is, is they'd probably tune in to what comes next in the story because how God has acted in the past when He's done something like this. We do know that it happens again after Ruth in, in the birth of Samuel who was the prophet chosen to announce King David. But it goes far beyond that. And I, and I think this is one of the ways that, that God provides for us through this passage this morning. Because it happens as well in the birth of John the Baptist, who is the prophet chosen to announce King Jesus, the Messiah. And, and in each of those circumstances, these women struggle with the reality of, of barrenness and, and conception. But they have that reversed by the direct intervention of God. And they go on to have sons who prove to play a vital role In advancing the covenant people of God all of these conceptions are are distinguished by the direct intervention of God and and it prepares us in the flow of scripture for the greatest and most miraculous of supernatural conceptions a conception not in the womb of a barren woman but in the womb of a virgin That would serve to call our attention to the greatest and most significant intention of God's saving purposes ever. And the narrator wants us to know that Ruth belongs to that group. The original listeners to this story acquainted with the book of Genesis would have been asking themselves, What is God going to do with this son? What saving purposes might come as a result of this child. Uh, they were probably wondering, what what is God up to? And we see the prayer in, in verse, verses 11 and 12 is not only answered, but, but could also be seen as a prophecy of what is to come in this child. In the place of all of the suffering. In place of, of all of the heartache and the grief and, and the emptiness. In one verse... You see, God provides a child for Boaz and Ruth. But the second thing that we'll look at is that God provides a redeemer for Naomi. That's, we've we've been waiting for that as well. Naomi was left destitute. But from the end of, of verse thirteen to through fourteen, the story seems to pick up in pace a little bit. In thirteen we have the conception and, and birth, all in a matter of a few words. And we see the women who are possibly the same women who earlier were asking, is, is this Naomi? In chapter 119. But now instead of wonder, they are amazed at the blessing of God. And it's possible that, that what we see happening here is in this story is that these women have taken, taken this child from the home of Boaz and Ruth to the home of Naomi. The last interaction we see playing out between Naomi and these women, is one filled with bitterness. Specifically, Naomi says, look at what God has done to me. He has made me empty. And the women who heard and saw that bitterness and emptiness now come announcing that a great reversal has taken place. Naomi rightly attributed the emptiness to God. So who were these women going to attribute this, this newfound fullness to? Naomi said to the women, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. They rightly attribute this blessing to God. And they say, may his name be renowned in Israel or or may he become famous in Israel. I, I think these women spoke better than they knew. And the storyteller is saving that information until the end of verse 17 because he's doing what he's done a few times in this book. He's building suspense. This child will meet Naomi's needs. He will be the redeemer that she needs. And these women have have two specific things in mind. He shall be to you a restorer of life. This child will bring renewed energy to the heart of Naomi. Naomi. How exactly is He going to do this? Her family line that was once on the brink of destruction now lives. But secondly, He will be a nourisher of your old age. And it's speaking here of, of providing the basic necessities of human life. Food and water. He will secure these needs for you. And so the, the, the two lingering problems of chapter 1, the need for food and and the need of an heir have been met. This child is the answer to both problems because he is a redeemer. But how can we be certain that he's going to fulfill this task? Look at what the women base their hope on as they finish their statement in 15. They say, For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. These women base their confidence in the future care of Naomi on Ruth's love for Naomi. And as we have seen over and over in this book, this this care, this kindness, this covenantal love is is not coming on the basis of law. But rather on the basis of love. The, the guarantee of Naomi's future care is Ruth's love for her. The one who has has given birth, the one to whom she has given birth, is yet this nameless child, and and this nameless child's mama loves her, and she is better for it. I, I love even that it says that that. Um, Naomi, or Ruth is, is better than, than seven sons. Seven would have been the ideal Hebrew family. It's the number of completion. Ruth is said to be better even than that. And so in a story so obsessed with having a son, we see a great tribute to Ruth. One woman who is said to be better than seven men. And what these women are really saying is, is not simply that this child will serve the legal function of the heir of a but But Ruth has given to Naomi in such a way that their relationship will be deeper than the typical grandmother-grandson relationship. In a sense, this child will belong to Naomi. That's what we see in verse 17. Naomi becomes his nurse. He will exist for her and serve her. Some would say this this is formal adoption. It might be a little too far, but Ruth is giving him to her to show that his life is bound to hers. His priority will be Naomi's well-being. And in this act, we see another expression of, of Ruth's said of, of kindness to Naomi. And in verse 17 we read, And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. Naomi, who in chapter 1 loses her sons, the, the word would have been babies, is now said to have a son, and again, this word is baby. And with this, the reversal is complete. The Lord has provided a Redeemer, and God alone deserves the praise as the hero of this story. But thirdly then, God provides a king for Israel. The narrator is about to reveal a detail that, that we already know. We've read the end of the story. But to the original audience, they would have heard it with fresh ears. These women name this baby Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. With with this revelation, we're, we're reminded that this is not merely a story about two desperate widows, but a story of a desperate nation on the brink of destruction. It was in the days of the judges, remember, there's no king, and, and these are the worst of times. And in great irony, the man of Bethlehem, who is the first character we meet, is named Elimelech, which means my God is king. But this first character, my God is king, dies. And in, in great reversal of this book, the last man we come across is the man who would be Israel's greatest king, King David. The redeemer of Israel. And though David, through David, the son indeed becomes famous in Israel. Obed is King David's grandfather. And this son is providing for Israel's greatest need. All of the details of the book have have led to this moment where Israel will be provided for. With a king who is after God's own heart. This child who was who not yet named by his parents or even by his grandmother is named by the women Obed, short for Obadiah, meaning servant of the Lord. And there are others who are called servant of the Lord. King David, 30 times in the Old Testament. But, but, but there's another. The genealogy that appears at the end of Ruth appears somewhere else in Scripture and shows us Who Obed and David are pointing to in their being called the servant of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 1, we see the same genealogy. The only difference doesn't stop with David, it stops with with Jesus, who, who is King David's greater son, who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is the servant of the Lord. And in that genealogy, I think it's just interesting again that we see women who are not Jewish. They're Gentiles. Tamar and Rahab are Canaanites. Ruth was a Moabite. They're in the lineage of Jesus. And, and what we see in that lineage is that, is that God provides a child for Boaz and Ruth, a Redeemer for Naomi, a King for Israel, But in doing all of that, he paves the way to provide a Savior for the world. God has provided the Savior we all need. And yet, oftentimes, like Naomi in the beginning of this book, we often tend to focus on our outward circumstances and feel bitter towards the Lord because we cannot see beyond the situation to what he is doing or why. Yet, as he did for Naomi, God still provides a Redeemer who is the restorer of life and, and who nourishes us by his faithful, loving kindness as he works out the plan for our lives and our part in proclaiming uh, of that good news of the Gospel. But I think I think the, the best thing about this book is is, is just as the women said to Naomi, we hear the same words today. They say to her, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, Amen. and may His name be renowned in Israel. Do you realize that God has providentially provided a Savior, and He has not left us without a Redeemer? God has been faithful to provide for us just as He provided for Naomi. But our Redeemer is not Boaz. It's the Lord Jesus. The kinsman Redeemer of the people of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that He still redeems today? For any who would place their faith in Jesus, redemption is yours. One at the cross where he died in your place. But guess what? He didn't stay dead. He rose again three days later to live and reign forevermore. The book of Ruth teaches us that God providentially redeems and he does the work necessary to bring us into his family. What a glorious reality! And so may we marvel every day that God has not left us without a Redeemer. And may we work to make His name renowned in Israel. Father, we pray that that would indeed be true among us. We're so thankful that You have provided the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. May His name be famous in Israel. We pray this in His name. Amen. Amen.